Tantra is known as a speedier, more efficient path for reaching enlightenment. So it's important to understand why. The uh, Sutra path is known as the uh, causal path, and Tantra is known as the resultant path. We uh, need to attain body and mind of a Buddha, body, speech, and mind, but let's just speak of body and mind in general. And, of course, the body and mind of a Buddha exist simultaneously, and each of them have their own specific causes, but we need the causes for both to attain either of them. So we saw that uh, we have, as part of the Buddha nature factors, we have these uh, two networks, positive force and deep awareness. And as the word network has a connotation that uh, it's there, in a sense, these things have no beginning. We use the word collection. It sounds as though you could start to collect it. There's a time when we didn't have a collection. But uh, actually, there's always been, as part of the mental continuum, some sort of level of these two networks. Why? What builds up the network of uh, positive force? And also, we can speak in terms of negative force. What builds them up and what results from them? Analyze. Don't just accept that uh, these are uh, factors that we've had from uh, with no beginning. Try to figure it out. Why? How does it make sense? No, think about it for a moment. Okay, anybody figure it out? Yes? Okay, so from actions, it builds up positive force or negative force, and this is what drives it. Good, good. So what are we talking about when we talk about actions? We're talking about karma. Karma is actually the compulsiveness of the actions. See, this is uh, a little bit confusing because uh, the Tibetan word for uh, karma means action. And in some of the theories, it, uh, even in some of the theories, it's not the action itself, but uh, the shape of the action, compulsive shape of the action. We're talking about compulsiveness when we speak about uh, karma. I think this is quite important to understand. We need to get rid of karma, right? Overcome karma. So if karma only meant actions, then uh, that would mean that all we need to do is stop doing anything and we would be liberated. 
So obviously it can't mean that, can it? So talking about compulsiveness, you know, our actions need to not be driven by compulsive habits, either negative ones or neurotic positive ones, like uh, always correcting somebody's grammar, you know, this type of thing. You know, we want to be helpful, but, you know, really annoying. So (laughs) we uh, need to overcome that uh, compulsiveness and have our actions be motivated purely by compassion and wisdom. So, because there's no beginning, and we have acted compulsively with no beginning, then likewise, these, the network of positive force or negative force has no beginning. And also, we can look at it from the point of view of the result. And what is the result of positive and negative potential is, now we have to look at the aggregates. So, we've always had the five aggregates in each moment of a mental continuum. So the aggregate of feeling, feeling happy or unhappy, it's a result of positive and negative potential. And those are two forms of suffering, suffering of suffering and suffering of change. And we have a network of uh, deep awareness because that's how the mind works. So we have aggregate of consciousness and so on. Some understanding. We've always had some level of understanding. Even a worm understands something as food. So, sutra is the causal vehicle because to build up, uh, yes, we need a body and mind. So, body results from also this positive force or negative force, depending you know, on how karma ripens in terms of a rebirth body. And we build up more positive or negative karma through the actions of our body, body, speech, and mind. But here we're focusing on body. So we can build up positive force. As I said, we need to build up causes for body and mind of a Buddha together. So in Sutra, we build up the positive force by acting with our ordinary body. Because doing positive things, constructive things. And each of the types of positive things that we do result in a different aspect of a Buddha's body. So we have the 32 major and 80 minor marks of a Buddha's physical body. So, body of a Buddha, with these 112 characteristics, is actually also an infographic. Because each of these characteristics, or marks, represents the cause. So, for instance, a Buddha has a long tongue, and that signifies that uh, as a bodhisattva, Buddha cares for others with as much loving care as a mother animal licking her young. So, the long tongue represents that type of cause. So, when we uh, practice in the sutra method, we're practicing the causes for the body of a Buddha, and the causes are a little bit remote from uh, what the effect actually is. So it's called causal vehicle. In terms of the causes for the body of a Buddha. But in Tantra, it's a resultant vehicle because we are doing positive things 
still doing positive things. But uh, we're doing that while visualizing ourselves in the form of one of these Buddha figures, a Yidam, which is more similar to the resultant body of a Buddha. So it's called resultant vehicle. Now, for building up the mind of a Buddha, we need to focus on, we speak in general, Four Noble Truths, and more specifically, the voidness of the Four Noble Truths, and the voidness of the person experiencing the Four Noble Truths, and the voidness of the mental continuum that is on which the Four Noble Truths occur. It's on our mental continuum that we have true suffering, the true causes of suffering, where the true stoppings of suffering will occur, and where the true discriminating awareness that will act as the path, or the pathway for bringing about the true stoppings occur, isn't it? It's me that's imputed on this, that is uh, experiencing these four noble truths, and so we need to understand the voidness of the mental continuum, the mind that's experiencing the four noble truths, and the content terms of true suffering and true causes, and the voidness of the person that's imputed on it, me. That's what we're always meditating on. Get the context. We're not just meditating on the voidness of the table. So we want to build up causes for a body and a, and a mind of a Buddha simultaneously, so, you know, to be closer to the result. But in sutra, we can't really do that. So when we are meditating on voidness, when we are acting in a positive way, to build up that network of positive force, what's crucial is that it is done with the motivation of bodhicitta and the dedication toward enlightenment to benefit everyone. Otherwise, whatever positive things that we do, are just building up positive karmic potential to improve samsara. So we don't want our positive potential to just improve our samsara. We mm-hmm. want it to contribute toward enlightenment. So bodhicitta is absolutely essential. So when we're focusing on voidness, we are not focusing on bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is focusing on our not yet attained enlightenment. And voidness is focused on voidness. So what you have is the focus on voidness is held by the force of bodhicitta. And when we're focusing on bodhicitta, it's held by the force of our understanding of voidness. We don't have the two simultaneously manifest in one moment of consciousness. So in Tantra, the way that it is usually stated is that uh, the mind that understands, that's focused on voidness, appears as the deity, as the Yidam, as the Buddha figure. But what in the world does that mean? What it means is that, uh, first of all, you can't have a the mental activity of focus on voidness can't occur by itself, can it? There has to be a physical basis, a body. Doesn't there? I mean, some sort of physical basis. So, the mind that is focusing on voidness has as its basis a body 
in the form of a Buddha figure. It's not that it's appearing at the same time, but it has as its basis body, which is a Buddha figure. So, in Sutra, when we're focusing on voidness, the body, which is the basis for that, is our ordinary form. Our ordinary form is not what transforms into the body of a Buddha. So, it's different from having the the basis, the form of the body that is focusing on voidness be the form of a Buddha figure, even though while you're focusing on voidness, that uh, body doesn't appear. Or just a total absence is what appears. We were talking about Mahayana tenet systems. So this is why we speak of Tantra as a resultant vehicle. That uh, similar to the result, you have a body similar to the result, and similar to the result, we build up causes for a body and mind simultaneously. That's the main reason why we call it causal and resultant vehicle. The most general reason of why it is speedier. Now, there are many advantages in Tantra of uh, focusing on a uh, working with these Buddha figures. When we focus on voidness, the absence of self-established existence, we can focus on the voidness of our ordinary body. That's how you always have to start. And then, with that understanding of voidness, then we appear as a Buddha figure. Right? So, remember, focus on voidness and only total absence appears. It's voidness. Right? Basically, nothing appears. But with an understanding that, that nothing isn't nothing. What does nothing look like is another question. But anyway. <laughs> well, there is not only the absence of an appearance of any phenomenon, but there's an absence of an appearance of the false way of it existing. There's a difference. Things appear. There are these two aspects. What something appears to be and how it appears to exist. You appear to be a human being. What establishes that you are a human being? Let's do an an easier example, much more obvious example. You have a series of photographs of yourself from baby, infant, newborn, until now. You look at them, and you can say, well, those are all pictures of me. Is there something on the side of each of these photos that establishes or proves or demonstrates that it's, that it's me? They all look completely different. Is it somebody else? No, it's me. So, we have the concept or name, (laughs) me, (laughs) and it's merely in terms of that concept, that the concept and word me refer to somebody on the basis of all these photos, 
but it's only the concept or name that establishes that it's me. There's nothing on the side of the photos. So, it's a correct labeling of me. It's not somebody else. But, looking at it, different. There's nothing on the basis. Shape of the nose, I mean, it's grown. And so on. So, we have this. So, you wanted to debate. I mean, we don't want to go into a huge discussion of voidness here. But the point, let me finish the point so that we don't Mm -hmm. lose it, is that what it appears to be, it appears to be me, and what establishes it as as me is, you know, we're not talking about what establishes it. What we're saying is that there's a total absence of it being self-established from its own side, by itself. So, voidness is the absence of some impossible way of establishing what it is. That it exists as me. So, there are all sorts of impossible ways that we could imagine it. And all we're focusing on with voidness is none of them correspond to reality. So, there's the absence of something that corresponds to it. To that manner of establishing that something exists. It's an absence of something that corresponds to what we imagine. What the mind makes appear. It makes it appear as though there's something there that makes it me. But you can't find it. You can't... What? (laughs) Which is even more weird because it's just colored shapes on a piece of paper. That's even more weird. Double weirdness. (laughs) So, the point being that when we focus on voidness, the total absence, there's nothing corresponding to what I imagine establishes that this exists as me experiencing the Four Noble Truths. When we apprehend something, you know the word apprehend, it means to cognize something both correctly and decisively. So, at that time, you can have explicit apprehension in which something appears, and implicit, which it doesn't appear. So, let me think of an example, an easy example. When I look at my hand explicitly, it appears as my hand. Implicitly, I know it's not my foot. And but my foot doesn't appear. But I know that it's not my foot. It's my hand. <laughs> so, voidness appears, but there's nothing implicitly apprehended. So, the basis doesn't appear. So, I'm focusing on the voidness. So, sutra, you focus on your body, for example. Now, I focus on the body and I focus on the voidness of my body. Total absence of some impossible way of establishing that it's, it's a body. What makes it a body? Oh, there are all these cells and all the liquid blood going through and so on, you know, body. Well, there's a the concept in word body and it refers to something refers to this. 
There's nothing on its side that makes it body. I mean, it's just what a word refers to. There's a little label inside saying body. Where? <laughs> but we have that concept of a body. We have a word for it. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, and then when we focus on our body, we can focus on it. You know, this is a subsequent attainment that the body appears like an illusion. It, it, it appears, but it doesn't exist the way that it appears. It appears to be established, you know, as you know, my body. All these pictures appear to be established as me. But implicitly, I know that that doesn't correspond to reality. It appears as though there's something in here that I'm recognizing as me. I mean, I can distinguish it correctly as me, but it's not as though there's something on its side that, you know, on the back of the photo it says, you know, my name. It's not like that. Maybe on the back of the photo it does, but certainly not on our actual body. So implicitly, we know voidness. The body appears, and implicitly, like an illusion, that it appears to be self-established, and implicitly, we know now. Now. Okay? It's a correct labeling. If we ask, you know, our mother, a valid source of information, she'd say, yeah, you know, that's what you looked like as a baby. So, in Sutra, we're focusing on the you know, ordinary body and the voidness of the body, and then the body appears like an illusion, and we understand illusion-like voidness, and implicitly we understand the voidness of it. Well, then in Tantra, after that, instead of focusing on the voidness of our body, I mean, first you need to focus on the voidness of the ordinary body, then we have that mind that understands voidness, the basis now is going to appear as a, a Buddha figure. So, so when you come out and, and focus on illusion-like voidness, you appear now in the form of a Buddha figure and implicitly understand the voidness of that. And in Tantra, what we're doing is always focusing on the voidness back and forth of the Buddha figure. In any Tantra sadhana, first you get inspiration from the spiritual teachers, then voidness. So, voidness of our ordinary form. And then, it says, within that understanding of voidness, mm -hmm. usually translated as out of voidness, as if voidness was some box and now it springs out, so that's not really the case. But it means with the taste of voidness, the Sanskrit word, with the taste of voidness, so it's within the context of voidness, then I appear as a Buddha figure. And there are many ways in which that happens. We don't have to go into the detail yeah. of that. Mm -hmm. So I appear as a Buddha figure. So that is, you know, illusion like voidness. And implicitly we understand voidness. And then later on, you're going to focus on the voidness of that. Explicitly. So, but appearing mm -hmm. as the Buddha figure and with the understanding of the voidness of that Buddha figure has mm -hmm. many, many advantages mm -hmm. as opposed to the voidness of my ordinary form. 
that has that understanding of voidness. So, first of all, when you understand the voidness of a basis, right, so implicitly, then a Buddha figure doesn't change. Right? It's a so-called permanent phenomenon in the sense that it doesn't grow organically, doesn't get hungry, doesn't have an itch, doesn't, you know, its legs don't hurt, stuff like that. If we're focusing on the voidness of our body, the body is changing all the time, so the, the basis is not stable. So it's much more conducive for getting single-minded concentration if you're focusing on the voidness of an object that doesn't change. Always the same. Every day when you come back to focus on the voidness of your ordinary body, it feels differently. So it's not so stable as an object to focus on the voidness of it. This is an advantage of focusing on the voidness of Buddha figure, ourselves as a Buddha figure. Also, our ordinary body, we have usually quite disturbing associations with. I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm not pretty, I, you know, all these sort of things. There are no negative associations, unless you're really weird, with these Buddha figures. So, that has an advantage. We're not underlying our understanding. is not some uncomfortable feeling about our body. And also, it's more obvious that this is, <laughs> Buddha figure is like an illusion. You know, you're imagining it, you're visualizing it. Whereas the body seems awfully concrete, our ordinary body. So it's easier to understand illusion-like. Okay? So these are the great advantages of uh, working with these Buddha figures, and it is a resultant vehicle, and therefore, from this point of view, it's much speedier, more efficient. So, let us uh, spend a few minutes to strengthen our understanding of that, thinking of some sort of Buddha figure, whether it's Chenrezig or Tara or whatever, and with the understanding of, uh, wow, you know, working with these, it's much more efficient than just thinking in terms of my ordinary body. Plus, of course, the Buddha figure has the infographics with, you know, what everything part of it represents. So it's even more effective.
Okay. I just wanted to mention something that mm-hmm. came to my mind while doing this, which is, at least I find, I, mean, I want to ask your opinion. If you're involved at all with Tantra practice, it is much easier to imagine myself looking like a Buddha figure than to imagine myself looking like me, this ordinary body. Can you imagine looking like how you actually look like to other people? That's very, very difficult, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I'm always with young people, for instance. So I'm seeing all these young people, but I can't really imagine them looking at this old man over here. I mean, I don't appear to myself as an old man. I have no idea what I'd look like to other people. That's not in my mind in the slightest. I mean, I'm not one of these people that, oh, my hair and all of that. But to imagine yourself as a Buddha figure is much, much easier than imagining yourself as what your body looks like. Do you find that also? What I'm saying is that if I'm interacting with other people, it's very hard for me to imagine what they are seeing from their side. I can't imagine or visualize what I look like. But if I visualize or imagine myself as Chen Rezi, for example, then it makes me mindful of compassion. Whereas if in that interaction I imagine myself looking like like what they see, an old man, that's not going to help me at all. It's just going to make me self-conscious and uncomfortable. It makes you feel more safe, more stable to imagine yourself as one of these Buddha figures. It has many, many benefits. Well, this is the problem, that if you identify a solid me with the Buddha figure, then you're a crazy person, you know, thinking I'm going to go run around in the street, take all my clothes off because I'm Tara. There were crazy people like that in Dharamsala. You know, I mean, we're not talking about schizophrenia here. That's why the understanding of voidness is very important. You know, it's like some crazy person thinking that they're Jesus Christ or they're uh, Mm. Napoleon or Cleopatra or whatever. So, the self can be imputed on our ordinary body now, validly. It's me, it's not you. could also be imputed on that not-yet-happening enlightenment. So we can validly impute the me on all of this, on this body or on the body of the Buddha figure. But it's like an illusion. It appears to be self-established, but it's not. Me as the Buddha figure is just another picture way at the end of the line. As long as we understand not yet happening, not happening now. No longer happening is the baby. Okay? So, although we've spent a great deal of time on this, I think it's very important to have some understanding the importance of understanding voidness and the importance of how these Buddha figures, you know, you could say they're weird, but uh, there are many, many benefits to them. 
many benefits. So weird is not the correct word. Whenever I would use that word with my teacher, he would always correct me and scold me and say, no, different. Not weird. Different. Something else. Weird is a judgment. (laughs) So let's take our break and then we'll continue. 